This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 28, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Does FDA regulation dull the senses of consumers? Is it possible, as the FDA promises, to assure a safe and clean food supply? Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, argues that the best consumer is a suspicious consumer, and food safety regulations cost you in more ways than you know. The view that ordinary people have that regulation is an answer for any problem that they have in the health and safety area, why I want to I, I try to convince them that they're somewhat misguided in, in that belief. The first point I'd like to make is that um, because people have fears about risk, politicians try to, compl- try to answer those fears by saying, we'll regulate a market and ensure you against safety risks occurring from that market. The problem is, is that government overpromises, and given the unwillingness of taxpayers to actually pay for the kind of random sampling that would have to occur, I mean, given how much food is produced and how much is imported, and if we, um, it, it's instructive to read actually articles on how few inspectors the Agriculture Department and the FDA have, and the left points out that they're underfunded and don't have enough inspectors to actually do a good job, and the left is correct. It, it's true, but that's a chronic problem. Instead of that, a prob- instead of um, the answer to that being we could add more money to the budget and somehow solve the problem, if, I, if you do the math, you'd find out you can't have enough inspectors to actually adequately provide assurances of the sort that many voters want. And so politicians face a conundrum, which is, what are we going to do? And so what they do is pass laws that say we're going to regulate, and then they underfund the agency that actually engages in the enforcement. But there's a clear indication that many consumers are willing to pay additional prices to have a much better assurance that what they're eating is uh, quality, that it's not genetically modified, that it doesn't fall into these range of bad categories as far as they're concerned. Exactly. From from our point of view, the existence of the Whole food supermarket chain is, is quite a welcome development. It shows that... Um, for those consumers who want greater assurance of the uh, the the firms in the food supply chain and where they're from and the country of origin and all of those things that Whole Foods markets in its products, that markets can provide those choices. They do cost more, and some people are willing to pay for that, and some people are not. The problem is um, would be if you when you want more assurance, but you're not willing to pay for it, and you think that somehow government can supply the answer, but you're not actually willing to raise your taxes to have the government do that either, we end up with the worst of both worlds, which is, um, in my view, regul- the existence of regulation dulls the senses of consumers and firms. It reduces rivalry, and thus the... Um, in a more laissez-faire world, consumers would be more suspicious of what firms were marketing and then would ask a lot more questions and would be much more suspicious. And in return, firms would have to supply those answers and, and to get customer loyalty. Whereas now we're in a kind of halfway world, whereas people who aren't economists or scientists think that the government, if you go out and ask a random person, does the government look out for you on your behalf to regulate health and safety risks of various sorts? And most people would say yes, and I'm very glad that that occurs. That, they don't realize how underfunded 
that exercise is. And in turn, they're not, they don't think a lot about the things they consume. In a riskier, more laissez-faire world, consumers would have to be more aware, and in turn they would be, but they wouldn't have to do all the work. The firms would actually, through brand name loyalty and things, say, if you buy from us, it costs more, but we guarantee you that that it's a much safer product than if you consume a generic, no-name uh, kind of product that's regulated by the FDA, for example. We provide you a higher level of assurance. So... In my view, the existence of regulation or the call for more regulation to solve a regulatory problem actually produces this cycle of less consumer sensitivity and less firm rivalry to provide a better product because everyone wants consumers to think that the government is looking out on their behalf. And it lets the firms get away with quality assurances that are sort of on the cheap because they don't actually have to do the work or provide the data. What about the government certifying categories of food, such as organic, and trying and trying to make this, what's behind that push to have the government decide what's organic and what's not? Until recently, there was no government certification of organic. Organic was just a, a, a business, uh, it was a label used by businesses to describe their products. And for some consumers, that was an unnecessary, unregulated free-for-all. To me, it was actually a positive development, and, and I uh, liken it to the rivalry among religions, which is, what's the best way to salvation? Uh, we don't, in fact, our country is set up to uh, not allow the government to actually weigh in in, in, in any of those disputes, and we, uh, because previous countries, other than the United States, the government was always uh, in back to one religion or another, and that leads to bloodshed and, and horrible rivalry. I think of organic, fussing about organic food and what the right standard is and whether a corporate farm should ever be organic or any big producer could ever be organic. The government ought not to get into uh, those kinds of, of decisions, but it has. And it has on the behest of large supermarkets who want to compete with Whole Foods, um, but have lower costs than Whole Foods. And in fact, there are large corporate organically certified now under the new standard. And traditional organic producers are howling about this because consumers, naive consumers, go into a, a, a supermarket and see organic stuff and they say, well, I'll buy it. And in fact, Safeway and Giant and, and other chains like that uh, charge more for those kinds of foods. But the more traditional organic producers say, but wait, our stuff's the real stuff and you shouldn't buy this fraudulent, it's not really organic uh, stuff. And I'm sympathetic to their claims that I don't know what the right answer is, but I know that government certification has in fact dulled consumer um, awareness and dulled consumer instincts. And they think that all organically certified uh, products by the USDA are the same thing. Well, and they're not. They're they're, they come from very different kinds of production. Um, some are large-scale and mechanized, and others are, are more artisanal. And um, that, that information is now suppressed under the current labeling system. Uh, the FDA is now looking into how soft cheeses are made. It's the raw, unpasteurized yes. milk that gives the cheesemakers constant bliss and other cheeses their distinctive earthy flavors, flavors that, like other farmstead cheeses, vary as the seasons change the cow's diets. That's from the Associated Press. 
If you go to France or Italy, um, there are many, many foods there. And the, the foodies in the U.S. go to France and Italy and just um, wax poetic about the cheeses and uh, Italian prosciutto, for example. So raw, the serving of raw, unpasteurized stuff in Europe is just considered part of the uh, part of the culture. And in the U.S., it's considered part of the problem. And is there a right answer to the right level of risk that it's appropriate for a consumer uh, to, uh, to, to take on in return for the pleasure that comes from eating those kinds of products. And I, it denies some people who would like to be extremely adventurous in their eating the chance to take risks that uh, they would like to take. But at the same time, it would seem to foist risks upon people who don't want any risk at all, given the nature of the funding mechanism and how people aren't necessarily willing to pay for what they're receiving. Correct. I mean, there is a, a another dispute, an analogous dispute, about the um, consumption of raw, unpasteurized milk. Um, there, among many upper-income urban uh, consumers, there is now a belief that babies are better served by having raw, natural, unpasteurized milk. Well, my great uncle would roll over in his grave if he heard that. He was a, a Cornell University Agriculture School graduate of 1912, and he brought um, modern milk testing to northern New York, where I grew up, and tried to, to modernize the dairy industry that my family participated in. Getting rid of unpasteurized milk was is, was considered you know, a real break from the past, and it reduced uh, illness quite a bit. But many people think that that's overblown, and because we've grown up in an era in which most milk, all milk, is pasteurized, the notion that we used to worry about that as a problem has completely been lost from the culture. But I am not opposed to them um, enjoying or, or wanting to take on that risk uh, as long as they're, um, they think there are benefits from it. And that, believe it or not, there are underground unpasteurized milk markets now that exist uh, around New York City to, to supply um, consumers with that product that they desire, that the FDA or USDA doesn't want them to have. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine at the Cato Institute. It's available for download at our website, cato.org. <laughs>